Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. All right, Jen. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here today. Thank you so much, Beth, for having me on your show today. I'm so excited. So these next few episodes that will be a part of Equipping ELL's podcast are really to highlight just the different ways that different schools support their ELLs, what teachers do, what's working well for them, because so often you know, ESL teachers are isolated and kind of on these islands by themselves. And it's really hard to figure out what is the best to do because what might work in one school might not work in another school. And so it's so refreshing to get to hear firsthand from teachers of what's working for them with their students and in their schools. So Jen is a teacher in Massachusetts, an elementary ESL teacher, and she's going to be sharing more with us today about her experience. So why don't you start there, Jen, share a little bit more about your teaching experience and your background. Yeah. So I've been teaching uh, over 20 years now, if you can believe that. And um, I've had multiple roles. So I've been a classroom teacher. I've taught in multiple bilingual programs. So I'm really familiar with, you know, Spanish immersion and dual language. And then I had kids. And when I was coming back, uh, after having my daughter, my second, one of my friends was like, hey, I'm doing this job share and I'm an ESL teacher. And she's like, do you want a job share with me? And I was, well, sure. Like, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't have my ESL license, but like, I understand language acquisition and I've taught in Spanish. And I went and interviewed and they offered me the job right on the spot. And so... <laughs> So that's kind of how I ended up um, transitioning into an ESL teacher. And I've been doing that now since probably 2014, I think, uh, is probably when I went back to work. And I love it. I, I love teaching language. 
Um, I love empowering students and helping them learn to be successful at school when they have so much that they have to learn besides the language, the culture, um, routines and expectations, and just adapting to a whole different life. And so right now I'm an ESL teacher. And at this particular school, we are a very large district. We have nine elementary schools. And the school I'm at is newer to having L's. So I used to be at one of the bilingual schools and they asked if I'd go over and help with some of the newcomers. So I work with second, third, and fourth. And at the beginning of the year, I also had kindergarten, but we just got an influx of students. So luckily we were able to hire more staff so I could go down to three great levels. <laughs> I'm so thankful for you for that. I remember you were saying, I mean, your your numbers grew drastically from the beginning of the year to even just October or November. Okay. Yeah. I probably started the year with like 44, 45 students across the four grade levels. And by the end I was up over 70. And so I was having, you know, those difficult conversations with my admin who they were trying to come up with uh, solutions and, you know, we had to talk with the district and say to try and teach over 70 students over four grade levels and really have high quality language instruction really wasn't going to be feasible. Like something was going to have to give, whether it was minutes or the quality of instruction. And I'm really passionate of trying to, to give the students what they need and what they deserve. So I really, really try and get as close to possible as the recommendation for the minutes that Massachusetts uh, recommends for ELS, even with our limited resources. Well, I'm so glad that your school is, was supportive in that and you, you were able to have those discussions with them to really, you know, not lose the quality of, of education that your students are getting due to numbers. And so I'm glad that they were able to hire and help you with that because that's, I mean, it still is a lot. It still is a lot that you're doing. So let's, let's go into that. Let's talk about what does it look like in your school, in your role to support ELLs? Like you said, you're in a big district, so it's, you know, you probably have a lot that's been established already, but what does that look like? So at the particular school that I'm working at right now, so I have a wide range. I have newcomers, like have only been here a few months, all the way to what we call in my district transitional students. So those are, you know, WIDA levels three and up. Mm -hmm. And so depending on the grade, uh, the instruction model looks different. So for instance, I have the pleasure to work with the transitional students in both third and fourth grade. And so I'm doing some co-taught models um, with that, which is definitely a challenge. And there are definitely things that we still need to work on in our district in order to make it successful. But I'm really fortunate to have two colleagues that are willing to meet with me outside of school hours. So we co-plan every week. So my fourth grade, I co-plan writing with a special educator. So we work with duly identified L's. So we have a combination of the L's who are on um, IEPs. And then with my third grade class, I get to go in with a classroom teacher and we do readers workshop together. And she's been really just open and to feedback with her language objectives and incorporating different strategies to really help 
all her students learn vocabulary and just really meet their needs and really focus on the literacy. Because as we know, the reading and writing tend to come later and just really helping them grow in those two domains. Um, So that's been amazing. And then my other, with my second graders right now, I don't like to say pull out because I feel like that has a negative connotation and I don't like to say push it. I'm really, it's like, I'm on a crusade to change it. Right. So, (laughs) um, you know, like pull out, I like to say self-contained ESL. So they come to my classroom and I have two groups of foundational students. So anywhere between, you know, a level one to a level, you know, 2.5, 2.7. And I'm, able to structure the class as I'm seeing what their needs are and and where they need to grow. And then I do have a newcomer group. And as you know, it was very large. It grew multiple times. I'm currently at 14 students with that newcomer group. And luckily, I was able to get the language assistant teacher back just because I have to do centers with them and just really help them in smaller chunks. So yeah, so some some of the ESL teachers in my district do have to do, they call it like push-in. They'll go in um, to a classroom. They might not have the opportunity to co-plan, and so they're sort of flying by the seat of their pants. But I really try and make an effort to connect with teachers. And even if we don't have time to plan together, then I try and talk to them about, like, well, could we do a station model of co-teaching so that I'm able to really focus on the language and I really try and have um, the classroom teacher or the special educator to really be the content experts, which is ideally how it's supposed to be, right? Yes, exactly. And I I love that, Jenna, because I think there's a lot of people who are struggling with that. They want to co-teach they know that's a good model, especially with those transitional. I think that's the key point is those are students who are ready, you know, getting ready to exit. They're going to be in that mainstream classroom after they exit without that support. And so providing that support in the classroom for that level is important. And so I think what my takeaway from what you said is, you know, encouraging the teachers who are trying that model. And maybe it's not easy. It's not easy. We know that. <laughs> we know that sometimes the ESL teacher who's pushing in might get seen as just an, a glorified aid or, you know, and so I think I love what you said of just finding those teachers who are open, who are interested, who are, you know, willing to sit down and plan a little bit and talk it through, just finding one of those teachers and then starting there. Cause I know you said you tried with a whole group of teachers and it just was very, very difficult to try to get your place in there. And so finding that one that is open to that and really wants to see their students, you know, succeed as well. I totally agree. And that's the thing. I think sometimes, you know, either district-wide or at the admin level or even ourselves, we kind of, there's this like pressure or expectation. Oh, well, you're going to like co-teach with everyone. Well, that's not really feasible, right? And especially when you're trying to roll this out. And if you really want to do co-teaching well, you really need to find time to co-plan you both need to be in charge of instruction. That's the co-teaching part. And you both need to be assessing students and talking about your observations. So if this is something that you're interested in trying, I really recommend, like you said, finding even one teacher, one teacher and starting off small, because if you can get them on board and you get their buy-in, guess what? They're going to go and tell their colleagues and they're going to be like, oh, you know what, she is doing all these amazing things in my classroom. And then they're going to be knocking on your door. And hopefully you can start working on another co-teaching relationship. 
Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, like you said, that that stigma around push and pull out now, you know, it just kind of swings that pendulum constantly. But it's true. Every every group needs different support. And I, I agree with you that those newcomers, those lower levels, they need you to be able to provide what they need that's outside the classroom content because they really need that language support still. And so I think that's important that we don't just swing and say, okay, everybody needs to co-teach. And that happens a lot, a lot of districts that's happening, you know, and so how, you know, just being able to advocate for those kids and say, I really need these students in my classroom at least this amount of time so I can provide them that foundation that they need is so important, but also difficult to have those conversations. It's it's hard to juggle like schedules and, you know, the classroom teachers have their goals that they have to meet and, you know, what the district is expecting them to cover. We have, you know, our listening, speaking, reading and writing domains that we have to cover and then throw in special education or any other um, services that a student might have. And, and it can be challenging to put it together. And I think it's important to really think about, you know, working together as a team. What can you focus on for now? Who can who can focus on certain specific skills? So we're working smarter and not harder. Um, or if a kid does need a, a double or triple dose, then, you know, I'll agree on a set goal or a couple goals for the student and really work on that until they've mastered that and then tackle another one. Definitely, I haven't perfected that at all, but it's something that I do try and and message to the teachers I work with. I think one of the challenges is finding time for all of us to sit down and, and talk and reflect on that. Yes, that, that is really difficult. And I don't know why the schools haven't seen the, the importance of collaboration and time to collaborate during the school day, but... Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your yellow students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need, proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators. Join us today at www.equippingells.com. Now back to the episode. Let's move into what are some ways that you get set up for the school year? So, you know, you're wearing a lot of different hats and trying to connect with the homeroom teachers, get ready for the students you have. And we know every group is different every year. Even if you're still going to teach second, third, fourth grade next year, it's going to look different than what it did this year. So do you have any ways that you get set up for school that has really helped you? I feel like number one, you know, as I'm going to be closing out the year because we've not started summer vacation yet, (laughs) but it's really important to recharge. Over the summer, you need to take a break. You need to relax. Teaching right now is really hard. We've had additional layers added throughout the pandemic, different styles between remote and hybrid and now in person, but still juggling kids being out. And we need to give ourselves grace and recharge our batteries. That's number one. And then I also think I'm hoping, I'm not sure I'm going to actually find out the grade levels that I will be teaching next year, which I know can be 
tricky and a little frustrating, maybe disappointing, um, because you're like, well, how am I going to plan? But I would really recommend seeing if you have a scope and sequence. If not, I know you shared in one of your podcasts and you have some resources to help guide some teachers about how to set up a scope and sequence. You can map that out. You can look at the months and, you know, see like, oh, in the month of October, I'm only going to have three weeks of instruction. So, you know, this particular unit or these particular skills are going to take two months. So that was something that I did this past summer preparing for this year that I am about to finish. And that was really helpful. And then I think it's important to take time to reflect what went well and what didn't. (laughs) What are the things that you're hoping to continue doing. Like for me, I was able to use your speaking and writing cards with my foundational second graders. They loved it. Their ability, they came in, that's how we started class every day. They knew the routine, the amount of language from when we started the cards to like right now is just amazing. Um, Even those students who didn't feel very comfortable at first speaking are now raising their hands They're doing turn-in talks and having academic conversations with their peers. So just really exciting. And then there's always those things, those challenges, and thinking, is there any way I can tweak that? Is there, can I get help from a colleague? Is there a book? Is there a class? Like, what can I do differently to try and improve on that? And that kind of ties in with, I do try and do either a class or PD or maybe read a book. Or if I set a goal, like sometimes I'll be like, oh, I want to add more read alouds next year to my instruction. But yes, we can all pick up a book and read a book. But I do love the fact the read alouds you provided because if you take the time to select some key vocabulary, come up with some questions so it's more of an interactive experience, the children are going to gain so much more out of it. And it's going to be a powerful learning tool and a way to develop their language. But that takes time. And it's hard to do when you're juggling multiple expectations. So I try and and pick like one small goal, whether it's I want to really focus on improving my students' writing and and taking small steps like that over the summer. Oh, I love that. That was So full of great wisdom, so much to say on that. But I think going back to, you know, your one point about the scope and sequence and we can, well, I'll put a link in the show notes for those who haven't listened to that episode and there's a free scope and sequence if you don't have one from your school. But the reality is when you're working with ELLs, it doesn't matter if they're essentially first grade or fifth grade, a level one is going to really be basically the same. I mean, it, it gets a little more advanced as they get older, but if you don't know the grade level, you know, you can still have a good framework of here's my level one and twos, here's my level three and fours, here's where I should be going with this. Because far too often, we don't have a clue. And then we we really spin our wheels throughout the year. And it's such a disservice to our students and to us, because then we feel like we're never doing enough and we need to do more and we're constantly planning and we're constantly looking for more things on, the, on Google. And it's just this endless cycle that just makes us feel so trapped. And so... I love that. I mean, starting with that scope and sequence where you can at least kind of touch it and say, okay, by this time of the year, you know, I want these newcomers to be able to respond with one word or repeat common vocabulary that we're learning. Um, And that also helps you have that confidence that, okay, these kids are making progress. 
and maybe this student's not. So maybe this is something I need to bring up and say, hey, let's just monitor the student because that whole language, you know, is it language? Is there a learning disability? What's going on? It's very hard to track that. And so when you have an idea of what you're, what you're shooting for, then you can kind of see where they're comparing with their peers, and which is so important. So, oh yeah, that was great. And I love that you, you do small goals. Every summer I would make like a billion big goals and not do anything and then start the school year the same every time. So No, I, to- I totally can relate to that. I feel like when I first started education, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I need to like do this for math and I need to do yeah. this for reading and oh, I got to improve writing. And it's just, it's too much. It's too too much. It's not realistic. We would not ask our students to do that. And so I think it's important just decide like, what is it you want to focus? Is it vocabulary? Do you need to get your kids speaking more? Do they need more time to have academic conversations? What, whatever it is, you know, set that realistic goal. It can help guide you, um, if you have to set professional goals, I don't know about anyone else's evaluation (laughs) process, but I really try and use those and make it meaningful and stuff that I'm going to use. And that is going to benefit my students. And if there's something even small that you can do over the summer while you're not juggling like planning and meetings and teaching and reaching out to parents, then go for it. (laughs) Yes. Excellent. I love that advice. Well, let's talk briefly about just building relationships because that's a big role of an ESL teacher, you know, building relationships with homeroom teachers, with parents that don't speak English, with the newcomers that are coming in that don't speak English. You know, relationships are so key to the success of all those areas. So do you have any tips on how you've built relationships and just seen some success with that? Basically, I think when it comes down to it, whether it's a teacher a student or a family, you need to get to know them. And there are ways to do that. We're really like in my district, as far as the families, we do have a translation office. So I am able to reach out if I don't speak the language, you know, with the Spanish speakers, I am fluent in Spanish, so I can have conversations with them. But in my school, I do have some bilingual staff that does speak Portuguese because we have a a large Portuguese speaking population. And I will reach out to them and ask them. There have been times when I've helped colleagues uh, reach out and connect with their families in Spanish. And I'm happy to do that. And so I don't hesitate to ask for help when I need it because I want families to feel welcome. I want them to have the opportunities to ask questions, uh, get support or resources. And I don't want it just to be that we're only calling for negative things. Like your child is not following school expectations. I think it's really important to have a balance between those positive phone calls, maybe just a simple check-in. And then if you have already built that foundation with them, they're going to be a little bit more open and receptive when you have to unfortunately make that difficult call and say, you know, hey, such and such had a really hard day, as opposed to only calling when there is something negative going on. We also in my district, you know, we do things like conferences. And I need to take a little bit more advantage. I haven't used this, but we do have um, the ability to use more and remind. It's just a little bit trickier because I'm not quote unquote a considered a classroom teacher. So it's sometimes harder to be able to figure out how to send messages without 
messing up the system. But those are two other tools. The SMORE will, um, the families can translate it, okay. your newsletter into uh, several languages. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know how many languages, but I know at least Spanish and Portuguese. And remind also, I can send a text to a family in English and then I'll translate it to like Portuguese or whatever their native language is. So those are two tools that we use in the district that I kind of need to tap into more. But, um, you know, going back to relationships with teachers, I really try and ask them periodically, like if I'm, especially if I'm working with a new grade level and I don't know them, Mm -hmm. just ask them questions like, what's your communication style? Like, I like to talk. (laughs) I really don't like to text, but some people that's all they want to do. They either want to text or they want to email. So I think you need to kind of respect that. And it's fine to tell them, oh, that's fine. You know, I prefer talking, but, you know, coming to a compromise as to, you know, I'm available during these times. Figuring out when and how they want to plan. Some teachers are fine planning outside of school. Some teachers aren't either aren't able or have no interest planning with you outside of contractual hours. And I think it's important to find out about their pet peeves. I do. (laughs) I'll be like, what's your pet peeve? Because uh, especially if you're doing a co-teaching model, something that really irritates you as the ESL teacher might not be a big deal to them. So just kind of checking in with each other about, are you on the same page? Are you different? What is going to be the expectations, especially if you're sharing the the students and you're teaching with them at the same time. So that's been really helpful to me. And another secret, I find a lot of my teachers really love chocolate. So (laughs) I'm not opposed to like bringing in some chocolate or some treats every once in a while. doesn't love a little sweet treat. (laughs) I know. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. So that's worked a lot too. Just recognizing the hard work that they're doing and that they're trying to do what's best for students. They just want to feel appreciated. And I think that's what we all want. I agree. That goes a long way in education. Sadly, we're not as appreciated, but a little note or a little, you know, just something that says, I see your hard work really, really can go a long way to build that relationship. So tell me, Jen, what does, does your school have a curriculum that you guys use or, you know, do they provide materials for you? What does that look like? Yeah, so we do have a scope and sequence that was created several years ago. So it has focused language goals and benchmarks for all the domains and at the word sentence and discourse level. It does need to be updated because, as we know, there's been some changes to the Common Core standards, um, especially science and social studies they tried to align some of the units before. So if I was teaching a science and social studies unit in the first grade, uh, we would have benchmarks kind of around that. So like I said, that's definitely something that we need to do some work on as a district and update that. And they do have materials like there's a program called REACH. So it is a program that is for um, English language learners. But once again, you know, depending on the the level and supposed assigned grade level, it sometimes aligns really nicely and sometimes doesn't. 
Um, and they were trying to really encourage us to stick, like if it was the first grade book, you couldn't really use it with another grade level. So I think we need to have some more conversations as to how can we better align ourselves with what's currently going on. And I definitely still have to create my own materials, even with the scope and sequence and reach curriculum. So it's been really great to be a part of equipping ELS um, because it definitely saved me some time because taking the time to create language access tools and word banks or a tool that I've loved this year has been Moat. I don't know if you've used it, but I love being able to voice over. It's so much easier than some of the other uh, voice recorder tools that I've used. So yeah, but it takes time to create your own lessons and make sure that you're focusing on what your students need. So I'm really grateful to the work that you and your team do. Well, thank you so much. It's our pleasure. But yeah, I think, you know, it's so hard with big curriculum and supporting ELs because like you're saying, every every group really is so different. You could teach first grade every year and, you know, have level threes every year, but that doesn't mean they all need the same thing. And so I think having a variety of tools at your disposal that you can you can pick and choose and what might work one year for one group next year they might need a lower level or they might be more advanced and you can up the level and so having that flexibility like Jen said she joined us last year in equipping ELLs and I remember we jumped on a zoom call and you were kind of hesitant you know like is this can you tell me more about it which I was so grateful that you reached out and asked for that um so will you tell me a little bit more about how it's been, you know, a year in, you've been a member and just what you've, you've learned from it and benefited from. Yeah, I am so thankful to be part of this group. It's just amazing. If you're not sure, (laughs) I highly recommend joining. For me, I consider it like a professional learning community. And I feel like people like to throw that word PLC around a lot. And we used to have that. I got trained in PLCs in my district, but then teachers were feeling overwhelmed and it went away. And I think it's a shame because I think we can learn so much from each other. And so this to me allows me to feel like I'm part of a community and I'm not alone. And I get to talk with ESL teachers, not just from Massachusetts, but from all over. I know we have people all over the world. Typically, I'm talking to ESL teachers across the United States, but we have been fortunate enough to to connect with some teachers in other countries, which is super cool. So, and just to really share, like I said, what's going well and to be able to celebrate that because yes, your colleagues will celebrate potentially, maybe your admin will celebrate, but I feel like you said it. Sometimes we're in isolation. Sometimes they don't understand what our students are going through and what might seem like a very small deal is actually a huge accomplishment for our students and something that we should be really, really proud of. So it's nice to have a spot to share and talk about that. And then to also get support. Like I said, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay not to have all the answers. And I know, Beth, I reached out to you and some of the other members. 
especially with my very large group of second graders and just to figure out how could I best meet their needs? Um, Yes, I had them for a great amount of time, but they were so new to the language and needed so much support that there wasn't a lot that they could do independently in the beginning and to find ways and structures to make them feel successful that would then allow me to teach them so that they could grow their language skills. And so I got a lot of great ideas in our community. And then I just love the fact that you're creating materials that are designed for English language learners. I feel like often districts are buying curriculum programs and they'll say, oh, well, do this. You can differentiate for your L's in this way. And it's just like one small thing that might hit like a third or I don't even know if it's a third of your L's. Here's a picture. Oh, really? (laughs) Right. So you have to like end up doing all this additional work to to come up with other ways to help them access. And so to have materials that already focus on the vocab, mm-hmm. that is focusing on really important academic language, like inferencing, predictions, um, is great. And I like the different formats. I use a lot of the closed reads for the new readers, and they have to respond to questions to demonstrate comprehension in multiple ways, whether it's drawing, writing uh, a phrase, answering multiple choice questions, and then going and writing about what they've learned about. And so that has been huge for me. And just, it's also amazing that you've been able to create and the team has been able to create so many different resources that focus focuses on all four domains. I think as teachers, sometimes it can be easy to be like, oh, I'm just going to focus on listening and speaking. Or I'm, oh, they really only need to focus on reading and writing now. And so just to help remind ourselves about the importance of trying to incorporate opportunities for students to practice listening, speaking, reading, and writing. Yeah, so that's just been huge for me. And I've definitely seen growth in my students, especially in speaking and writing. Like I said, my second graders love, love your speaking cards. And we haven't even done all of them, but they feel so much more confident speaking. It's given them opportunities to practice talking with partners or groups, especially after a very long time when we were all stuck on computers and you had to keep your distance and you couldn't really talk to anyone who you didn't live with. And I definitely saw a huge regression Mm -hmm. in students' abilities to speak and have academic conversations and to collaborate. So that has been a really easy way to help them build those skills back up. And yeah, like I said, I also use the clothes reading and writing for new readers a lot. So those have been wonderful as well. That's awesome. Thank you, Jen, for those words. And that's really the passion and heart behind equipping ALLs. You know, one with the resources that are created, I think far too often administrators and those who are creating curriculum think teachers have no knowledge of teaching. And so they think it needs to be very scripted, spoon-fed, 
which is the opposite of what you need. You need the material in your hands, then you can teach. You can do what you do best is teaching. But I found that so many teachers are spending so much time trying to find the materials that then when they get, and this was my case too. And then I get to the lesson and feel like, ah, oh, this is kind of flat. This isn't what I was thinking. Now I need to go back tonight and keep searching and find this perfect lesson, you know? And, and so that's really the heart of equipping analysis to give you the materials that you can find for whatever you're teaching, whatever grade level. So you can just use it and then go with whatever direction you need to go with it to reach your kids, because then you're removing that burden of like, what am I teaching today? You have it done for you. It has all the, the vocabulary and domains, like you're saying, I mean, that's our passion. And then also I think in, you know, you're the second one that's talked about the speaking and writing cards. And those are just something that, you know, I created because I was tutoring and kind of having the same issue of like, I need the student to start talking and I need the student to start writing. And okay, a picture is going to really help to do something. I can't just expect them to come out of something out of nowhere. And that's where those came from. And what I've seen is the power of those is really the routine that's set up with those. Because when students see the familiarity of a resource and they know when they walk in your room and that card is up on the board, they know exactly what to do. That helps them feel so safe in your classroom. It lowers that affective filter because they're no, they know, okay, I'm going to have to speak about this or I'm, I'm expected to write about it, but that's okay because I know what to do. And I feel confident now, you know, after it might, a couple of days, it takes them to get to that. But when they do, like you're saying, they really start to soar. And I think that's the other strength of what's inside equipping analysis is really just having material, consistent materials that the students really understand like the closed reading when they see these, okay, I know this is what we're going to do with this. And so they can let down their guard because they know the expectation. Their brain has a framework instead of when I was teaching, it was like, oh, okay, let's try this today. Let's try this. And they never really understood what was coming at them. And for an ELL, that's really overwhelming. It's really overwhelming to let down their guard and feel like, okay, this is a safe place. Even if, you know, I, I built the relationship and things like that, but I think the resources, when they can visually see and know in their head, oh, this is what I need to do, that helps them so much. I agree. And one other thing I want to share with the audience, I know I get a lot of teachers in my school come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting a new newcomer. What do I do? And it's like this panicked deer in headlight look. And I just want to encourage you just they need a safe place smile at them greet them they want to feel cared about they want to feel safe we don't know what their background story is most likely and just going back to the comment you made about teaching routines as they begin to pick up routines. They will start to understand. They will feel more comfortable. They will take risks. It is okay for them to have a silent period. It is okay for them not to be responding and just listening and kind of absorbing. And I would say, once again, going back to, you know, the goals and just setting small goals, take baby steps. Visuals, and using gestures go a long way. And even if you can just add a little bit each week or each month, you're going to be surprised by how much they're going to pick up. And another thing, if you're able to, always want to pair them up with a buddy. 
If you're able to find somebody that speaks their language, even if they're in a different grade, doesn't matter. Just makes them feel welcome, like they're not the only one or an adult. And if not, that's okay. You can pick another child who is going to be willing to show them the ropes and what the expectations. They just need somebody that they can go and talk to or get help in case you're busy working with another student. But biggest thing, smile, greet them, keep them safe and just watch them grow. I love that advice. That is exactly it. And if you're new to teaching newcomers, you're going to see that it's one of the best and greatest joys to get to work with those students and and to begin to see them grow and the excitement on their face when they first say a sentence in English or, you know, remember a vocabulary word. It's really, it's really a privilege and an honor to get to work with these incredible students. So All right, Jen. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was so beneficial and I know that listeners are going to enjoy it. So if you want to come join us in Equipping LLs, Jen is an active member. We're so thankful for her. Like she said, the community is incredible and she's one of those those people that are will share ideas, share what she's teaching, um, be in our breakout sessions, our Zoom calls, and just has such great advice for other teachers and willing to ask questions, which is really helpful too. So we've had a lot of great discussions this last year. So come join us if you're interested. We'd love to have you with us. All right, Jen, have a great last few weeks of school. You're almost there and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Beth. Bye. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.